Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It is the moment of truth for Apple, the nearly trillion-dollar tech giant getting ready to report earnings tomorrow as the fate of the market hangs in the balance. And the stock was higher today, but Apple has been struggling of late. Negative on the year and still in correction territory, down 10% from recent highs. And this earnings season, we've seen a lot of big beats, but not big enough stocks move, uh, stock moves to lift the market higher. Will it be different this time for Apple? Guy. Well, let's hope so, because there are a lot of Apple bulls out there, and they're watching these. I mean, you can just, can't you feel the, the feel excitement? Feel the tension. Well, obviously, today's announcement, there were the Financial Times talking about Apple potentially giving $100 billion back to shareholders. That obviously is going to help. So they need to do something along those lines. If you're asking me what number am I looking for and what number I think matters, service revenue. If that number comes in $9 billion or higher, that would represent probably close to 16%-ish of total revenues. I think that'll help Apple get the multiple that everybody wants them to get. So I'm, I am optimistic for this quarter, yes. I think, I think Apple, you know, guy's good at getting in the weeds on these numbers. So is Timmy. I, I look at it as a sentiment indicator. I'm still long the name. That services number as far as revenues, that's a $30 billion number. Could be more coming into this print. I think that Apple took it on the chin early in this sell-off. And I think that it's sort of due for that bounce before everything else is due for the bounce. I remain long. Well, the setup is what is really in Apple's favor this time. We had a slew of analysts, even the most bullish on the street. Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty cut their numbers on iPhones going into this quarter. Yeah. I mean, really, you couldn't right. have a better setup for yes, Apple. Yes, that is the best thing going for them, other than today's today's news. You know, if it had been down a couple of bucks today, that would have been really good for Apple for tomorrow. I don't know. I'm not long it. It's, it's okay. I think that... Clearly, people want services to be much higher. That $30 billion is a run rate, not a this mm -hmm. quarter rate. But And the idea being that you get a much higher multiple for services business sure. than you do for hardware business. Okay, that makes sense. I am concerned about the hardware part of the hardware business Which is because the that is the biggest business. part of the business <laughs> by a lot. So, you know, it's, it's not a crazy valuation at all and a great that they're doing something with the cash. I believe they will. They have been proactive, unlike Alphabet, but that's a different story. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all right not owning it going into earnings. Well, if we're on that great show, Options Action, they'd probably be talking about the, either the skew or the, the implied move that you're going to get on this. I, I think it's as low as we've seen in a long time for everything you guys are talking about. Um, we also had this report out there that for the calendar 2Q, the... 10 will have roughly about 8 million units. That's disappointing. So we've had the downgrades. And, and Citibank wrote about this $100 billion, by the way, to their credit, um, probably a month ago. So I think that's in the market. I don't think this is new news. The real question is, what's the multiple you want to pay for this company? Right. And, and I think in this environment, I think that makes it defensive. So, um, uh, you know, to me, I, I, I think you can be long Apple. I am not long the stock. I haven't been long the stock for six months. I think the interesting push-pull on the multiple, though, is that we had an analyst in Power Lunch today from BMO Capital Markets, and basically he was saying that people want to hold on to their phones longer. So we've been talking about this on this desk, how the cycle has been elongated. And so if you don't have as many refreshes on the product cycle, the product cycle is extended, but you have higher price points, it's a push-pull. And what Guy, does that mean for the that, multiples? That, that Nokia <laughs> 
I mean, it's got to be a decade. Seven, eight-ish. <laughs> Easy, when they right? Making these things. So I'm, I'm the, obviously the exception to these. The other side is, at a certain point, you're forced to get a new phone, and we've had sure. this conversation mm -hmm. because your phone starts to slow down. It can't keep up with the new. I get the whole thing. I'll also say this real quick. You know, Katie Huberty came out and she said she was cautious, but she didn't say the stock was going into an, into the she abyss. She didn't cut anything. She did really. not yeah. cut anything, <laughs> and she said, you know, if you see weakness, buy it on a weakness. D. A. Davidson just came out with a report, and they put a two hundred twenty dollars price tag on it. So if any of these numbers do disappoint tomorrow, and you get that flush, I guarantee you, Katie Huberty from Morgan Stanley, who's been the axe, will use that as an opportunity to say this is the entry point for Apple today. For what it's worth, the, the straddle is eight bucks, so it's telling you five percent move one way or Up another, or down, yeah. right? Oh, which that's kind of a big move. That's I what I mean. That's yeah. completely countering what I said. It's okay. You were saying not a big move. I said I, I, I said I don't I don't expect it to be a big move. By the way, it's okay for you know for you to call it, me out. I actually <laughs> you know I could you be can wrong still expect it to well, not be a big move even if the straddles are buying five. I guess my point is I don't, and and, and yeah. the reason I don't is because I think there's a lot of news out there in terms of the competitive threats in China. We heard about Xiaomi moving ahead of them in terms of fourth place. We know that there's there's certainly some pressure on ESPs, um, and at the same time, this is still a juggernaut in terms of cash flow uh, at a time when people want to see capital allocations back. This I, I look back and I make it simple for myself because that's the best one. I, I trade best when I make it simple for myself. And you look at the 200-day moving average, 166.08, and Apple does not spend a whole heck of a lot of time below the 200-day moving average. So if this does start to slide and spends more than a week below this 200-day moving average, that's a sea change for me. So that's what I'm gauging on. It, it is a binary moment for me. I remain long it, so I still am bullish. Does the market move? based on how Apple moves. No, Dan tomorrow. Nathan no. talked about this, I think, a week. Uh, Dan mentioned this a week or so ago. He said Apple can go higher and the broader market could have problems. It's in, so I'll, just to throw a fly in the ointment. Sure, love flies. Because I, I just like to do that. <laughs> stick I don't think flies. Intel he could have had ointment. a yeah, much good. better quarter. great match. <laughs> an ointment? Sal. Apparently, Sal. I love, apparently I love that. Anyway, keep moving. Anyway, go ahead. Flying the ointment, what is it? Intel could have had a much better quarter in terms of what, in my opinion, in terms of what they were, the price action was horrible. So maybe the market, yeah. the market has changed. Apple maybe might crush tomorrow, and maybe the price action will disappoint. Mm. That's what I would be concerned about. Well, that's the whole point. I mean, and, and that's not a good take on the market because Apple. I, I, I think it's very difficult to argue Apple's very expensive here, and I have a big issue because I, with the market at least. When I have an issue with the market in terms of the directionality of it, it's because price to sales, price to book, not cheap. P.E., I don't think we're worth the same in a, in a 3% and a 20-vol environment than we were before. So Apple is a cheap stock in relative to its peers. It should be defensive. That's not good for the market. I think we have to all remember, though, today was the last day of the trading month, too. So you saw a lot of flows, inflows, outflows that kind of screwed around with the tape. And I think if we didn't have the last day of the month, I think the market would have done better than it did having that midday uh, late day sell off, and I think Apple would have done even better than it actually did. All right. Well, our next guest says Apple uh, may be right for a breakout. Chartmaster Carter Worth, Cornerstone Macros at the Plasma to break it all down. Hey, Carter. Hi there. So obviously things move on earnings, and uh, I'm going to make the bet that this is going to actually be to the upside. Today's action alone was interesting in the context of a very bad tape. You know, Apple being up almost two percent. But first, tech in general. I wanted to just look at the following statistics. We know that. Year-to-date, consumer discretionary is leading the pack of the 11 sectors, up 5.1. But the real reality is it's not leading the pack. What we know is the equal weight sector, you eliminate the Amazon and Netflix effect, among others. The truth is, it's a dud. But that's not the case for tech. Tech actual is up 3.2. 
and its equal weight performance is better than the actual. There actually still is uh, a tailwind to idiosyncratic growth in tech in particular. Uh, now, Apple, of course, down on the year versus an equal weighted sector. So you're talking about uh, 800 base points of spread there. All right. Now, take a look at the following that is interesting. If you go back to the beginning of GICS data, the circumstance where Apple is down in the January-April period, today ends that period, and Apple is down, while the tech sector is up. Now, that's happened a total of eight out of 36 years, 22% of the time. And when that has happened, which is the circumstance we have now, here is what Apple has done going forward mm. one week, two weeks, three weeks later. It is up, up, up. But more importantly, that's, that's an, uh, a median statistic, which means some years it's down. But the odds of it being up, 85%, 85%, 57%. I'm going to make the bet that today's action alone, which was very bullish in the context of a bad tape, is a tell that Apple might just be defensive in the context of a slippery tape. So Apple, is it ahead of itself? It's made no progress. It is dead even with the market for three years. So we can't consider it sort of a runaway stock or expensive. And then the chart itself, no lines. Here come the lines. And I'm going to make the bet that we bounce, 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 bounce. So I want to be long for that in response to earnings. Carter comes over. Has of to. Course. If anyone in the Pantheon has to come over to the desk. Come Man. on over, Carter. Annie's going to bring the chair over. Thank, Thank you. you, Annie. Thank you. Um, quick question about the context of those 22% of the occurrences where Apple is down and tech is up. Is that uh, absolute? Is I mean, it's yeah, absolute, it's correct? So if you got to this point in the calendar year where the stock is down, its sector, which is the biggest part, is up. Apple outperforms one, three, five weeks later. And technology itself, does that also do well in that's, those periods? No, or? that's more of a sort okay. of a random. But the key okay. is that Apple really, and the odds of it happening and right. the actual results itself were quite consistent. Right, just so I, I clarify something, when you say it's, it outperforms, it outperforms the market on those occasions when it was down, or it outperforms tech? No, it out, it's actually up, up absolute. It's up absolute. And outperforms the market. And the odds of it being up, remember, because you can't, it's not all the time. Sometimes it doesn't work, right? It's been down. But the odds of it, we're running at 85%. Um, and I think today's action alone, you guys could speak to that as people, have, uh, uh, you know, look at the tape actively. Big day today, and everything was red. Yeah. This is a leading question, CBW. And Steve mentioned it's the last day of the month, so maybe there are factors at work. But great earnings last week. Everybody saw it. Market performance has been not particularly stellar. stellar. Does this? You've talked about um, ending in a in a crescendo. I'm, I'm probably speaking a word you didn't use, but are we on the verge of something here, given what we've seen in earnings and given how poorly yesterday? Right. I mean, the universal. Behaved. And this is not fundamental. It's not technical. It's just common sense. If it's, if stock after stock after stock puts out great results. And the trading action after that is very poor, from Goldman Sachs to, to Google. You have to take away something, right? which is that maybe people are full. Maybe there is no more money to go into equities in a big kind of way. Um, Apple, I think, is defensive, though, curiously. So, Carter, do you see anything else on you? Because I know you look at these. Uh, make it macro for me. Do you see? So when you see tech or Apple singularly outperforming, when we talk about how much percentage of, uh, of the S&P there is for tech, percentage-wise on an energy level, do you see energy continuing to outperform, even though it's a much smaller position? Do you give it sure. as much so, credibility being though it's such right, a... It's the only of three sectors, the only uh, the third one that's up on the year. But again, it's so small. It reached under 6% as a weight in the S&P. It's now just back above 6 It can't save the market. 
Um, it can be up outright on its own and a relative, but it, it won't matter for the market. Steve talked about how Apple hasn't really, it's been spending a bit of time below the 200, and he doesn't like that. I don't like that. And in fact, the last time Apple really traded down through the 200 was with a decided move then was November 2015. And you can right. make an argument, and your chart shows that it's kind of bouncing here. Um, or it's the, got to bounce here. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the. So, so the, the, the duration of time below a key index um, that we really haven't seen, you can sense it corrected. It, right. So think about awful, so the simple math of a moving average. It's a lot of inputs, 200. So if you are trading below your average price over two days, definitionally you haven't made a new high in at least six to eight months, right. and that's the case with Apple. So the, the burden of proof, frankly, is on the bull. The bear just has to point to that very fact. My hunch is that it'll be contrarian and that it will do well on its number. It's an interesting call, Carter. Yep. Thank, Thank you. you. Carter Braxenworth of Cornerstone Macro. What do we do today, a day where the tape had terrible price action? Basically closing on the lows of the session. Biotech, awful today. Celgene mm -hmm. ahead of earnings. Beardstown, ladies, we had that stock yeah. drop. Yeah, yeah stock drop on the power lunch. Uh, look, I don't you. like to root against people, but... You're the, rooting against the Beardstown, the Beardstown ladies. Beardstown ladies, they owned me last You're rooting year. against the Beardstown so, ladies. It's nice to see them out of the gate slow. But the underperformance <laughs> in biotech ahead of what should be a, a pretty interesting release for Celgene on Friday, to me, really caught my eye. I'm already long Apple. I almost got longer Apple, but I said th there's no need to put all those eggs in that basket. I almost, almost bought Tesla today. What prevented about you from doing tomorrow. that? Because I, I just want to see technicals bear out just one more day. Karen, what did you do today? I didn't do a lot. I, I, today was really disappointing, actually. I thought there was a lot of things to like coming into today. You had the big McDonald's earnings. You had a big merger Monday. Yeah. That's usually good for something. The marathon deal, the Sprint T-Mobile deal. All things setting up for what should have been a very good day. And then I don't know if it was the Netanyahu uh, press conference. That certainly weighed on the market. But there was a lot to like. Guy touched on it. Intel, which I'm long, which I really like. That acts terribly. Yeah. Terribly. McDonald's, the price action was very good today. Yeah, and it, it, on held. A terrible it held. I, I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a shareholder. Actually. It's yeah, nice yeah. to see that. I have to say, you know, emerging markets failed at the 200 today. I started trimming some of that on Friday. You can see these trends. The they court, trade back up and then they fade it. Enough said. Did you think Let's go to Hampton. You had a fair hearing. As you can see, this is uh, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson leaving the federal courthouse here in Washington, D.C. Seven weeks after it began, the AT&T Time Warner DOJ antitrust trial has concluded. It's now in the hands of a judge who will decide the case. And at the end of closing arguments, we were told that we'd have a decision on or about June 12th. In the end, the closing arguments came down to kind of where the case began. The government essentially saying that if this merger goes through, the whole competitive landscape of the video TV industry would change substantially with a merged AT&T Time Warner having much more leverage in the future in terms of its negotiations with its competitors over content and distribution. Uh, AT&T pushing back saying no, exactly the opposite would happen. It's a changing world. Uh, and competition is the byword, especially from the so-called fangs. Uh, so as you can see, it's been a busy day here. Uh, the two CEOs not wanting to say anything with the case at a really critical juncture right now. And as we said, uh, seven weeks from when we began, the trial now is in the hands of trial judge Richard Leone, who will decide this case one way or the other. Back to you. Thank you very much. Hampton Pearson uh, outside the courthouse where the uh, closing arguments have concluded in the AT&T Time Warner uh, antitrust trial. It was an interesting development today when the DOJ came out in their closing arguments and, and said if the deal yeah. is not, not rejected, we could uh, seek structural remedies. It almost, it almost felt like they were saying if we lose, we're willing to go 
the second uh, step down from what we were asking. We're going to still go after you. As right. opposed to if they said the opposite, actually, that if actually if, if we block this, why don't you seek structural remedies, which is a way of saying, hey, you know, there's other ways to get this deal done, which is not what they said. All right. Coming up, speaking of a deal down, are T-Mobile and Sprint getting crushed as they announce a $26 billion merger? Why does the deal have shareholders running scared? We've got the details. Plus, he's the regulator that sent shockwaves through the crypto universe with his comments embracing Bitcoin as an asset. The CFTC chairman, Christian Carlo, will be here to tell us what he thinks the fate of the cryptocurrency is. And later, the bull market's nearly a decade old, and while it may not die of old age, is it starting to fade away? So what do you do in buying an aging bull market? The traders have some answers. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more fast straight ahead. Somebody who basically steals an idea because we're running tests and he knows exactly that we're launching this tomorrow, calls for an emergency press release because this is the fastest press, press conference ever and basically copycats what we were doing. Sorry, to me, that's a con artist. That was Sprint CEO Marcelo Clore taking a jab at T-Mobile CEO John Ledger in what had been a long-running battle between the two wireless moguls. At least until now, the two telecom giants agreeing to a $27 billion merger over the weekend that would value the combined company at around $146 billion. But will the deal get approved by the government? Let's bring in CNBC's David Faber, who's live at the Milken Conference in Beverly Hills. The stock market seems to be saying, David, the deal's not going to go through. Yeah, it, it does, I guess, Melissa. You know, the two stocks had run up a bit into the announcement itself. There may have been some disappointment in some of the CapEx. Um, prognostications and therefore the free cash flow numbers. But you're right, the market also perhaps rendering at least an early verdict here. We'll see. Uh, everything that the companies have done since they came out of the box yesterday afternoon with the announcement has been done to design or designed to try to make the case early on here and give them some momentum with regulators as to why this is going to be a pro-competitive deal. Remember, this is the third or maybe even one account, one failed, another failed attempt, the fourth time they've tried. Once before, in 14, Tom Wheeler, who ran the FCC, said, no way, we're not going to let you do this. This time, Ajit Pai at the FCC is considered to be a lot more potentially uh, willing to listen, perhaps more lenient. But the DOJ, where this will also end up, and whether they will allow four competitors to go to three, particularly after the price competition that has been so favorable for so many consumers over these last five years, as T-Mobile has been so aggressive, uh, may not continue? Well, that's the question. The two companies talking about their expectations of spending billions to build out 5G and its importance to the national security of the United States, talking about growing competition they're facing from cable companies, such as our own Comcast, that are moving more aggressively into the wireless industry. But the question still is, will it be enough? Another question actually is, while this regulatory review goes on and on, will Sprint still be the tough competitor it has been to T-Mobile? Here's Marcelo Colare. We don't back off. As a matter of fact, even though we look our friends right now, beginning tomorrow we go back to competition. We're going to continue to attract T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon customers into the Sprint network. We are going to invest. This is going to be the largest investment in Sprint in terms of continuing to build our 5G network. So we're competitors, and we're going to continue to run the company the same way we have these last four years. We're going to continue to compete, and we're going to continue to win. 
course, the financial wherewithal of this combined company will be such that it can truly compete with the likes of AT&T and Verizon in terms of building out a network. That's what this is really all about. Sprint, weighed down by all that debt, facing the enormous CapEx needs it would, simply knew it wasn't really going to be able to meet those challenges alone, uh, and has been trying for years to figure out a way to get this deal done. The way it got done, Melissa, was by giving up control completely to uh, T-Mobile and its parent company, Deutsche Telekom, which will own as much as 42% of the combined company, will consolidate its financials on its own, and will have its management team in control. You know, early on, David, in, on the conference call, I believe, on Sunday night, um, they were making the case early on that the competitive landscape was much broader than just Verizon as well as AT&T. And they specifically mentioned Comcast. And I'm wondering if the Comcast Xfinity mobile offering is actually as robust an offering as they're trying to make it out to be when it has disappointed uh, analysts on the street in terms of the number of subscribers in, uh, that they were able to enroll. <clears throat> Yeah, although it has been ramping and they did add more subscribers than Verizon and AT&T lost. I haven't used it. I don't know. It is bundled typically with the other services, obviously, that Comcast offers. They're uh, using the Verizon spectrum, that network, and this MVNO agreement. Charter also moving more aggressively towards uh, wireless offerings, Melissa. It's one of a number of areas they're at least trying to make this argument that things have changed since the last time you thought about a potential deal like this. 5G, the capital intensity of what that's going to require, cable into their business. And don't, don't forget, 5G may also raise the possibility of competing with the cable companies uh, on broadband into the home. So for all those reasons, they're hoping they get a better look this time from a, certainly what's a more favorable FCC under Ajit Pai and the DOJ under Macon Del Rahim. I did speak to Del Rahim earlier today, asked him if he has any thoughts on the deal he took a pass. Hmm. All right, David, thank you. Great reporting out there. David Faber joining us from the Milken Conference. Well, with all the merger talk, we thought we'd play a little deal or no deal. Oh, so I let's start it. off with Sprint and T-Mobile. That is the deal here that we're talking about. What do you think, Rosso? I think there's going to be a deal. I, I agree with you. The price action said that there was not going to be a, a deal today. I think that T-Mobile and Sprint need each other to be able to compete on scale. So I hear everyone that says it's anti-competitive when you go four to three, but I think three and four need to merge to stay competitive with one and two to keep prices Steve, down. Steve, how, how much of this re relies on this new definition of, of could this be a broadband deal? Um, and do you think that that's really going to be what makes this deal get through? Because you know, a lot of people call this a wireless transaction. If they can say that this is about national security, it's about 5G, and it's about security with the, the Chinese government, and they could spin it and say there's going to be more jobs here and lower prices, I think they can play that shell game long enough to confuse the regulators. And I think they can get something done. This is their how many times bite at the apple? We start in 2014, yeah. 16, now we're seeing it again. All right, let's go on to uh, AT&T, Time Warner. Deal or no deal? Chairwoman. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a deal here. I think that Time Warner did, well, Time Warner and AT&T did a much better job than the government. I think the deal, if you're watching it on a deal spread, it's narrowing, so people believe that to be the case. And remember, it's, it, the deal's not worth what, it's worth like 101 and change because AT&T is below the bottom of the collar. And that sort of traded down on the crappy earnings for Verizon 18. Anyway, 
All that having been said, I do think it gets done. I think that they've just presented a stronger case. You never know. It's in front of a judge. You never know how it's going to turn out. But more likely than not, I think it closes. But what do you make of those comments from the DOJ in, in the, whatever this was, somewhere midday today, where they basically said, even if we lose, we could be thinking about other ways to, to have this deal, you know, different variations to get the same place where we want to I don't push know back. if they were trying to push them into some kind of settlement some kind of, you know, they're throwing out yeah. their either getting rid of Dish or, uh, or or Turner, and I don't think I don't think AT and T, Time Warner, don't think they need to do that. I think they're confident in their case. All right, let's end here on Disney and Fox. Deal or no deal, Guy? I say deal, I, and I, th I think this. Listen, I think Comcast obviously wants to get in this game. They're not in this game. Comcast now going out of Sky, but I think Disney needs this in my opinion, because I think they want controlling share in Hulu for whatever reason, because I think they want to take on Netflix at their own game. And I think they want to somehow integrate ESPN, which has been failing with Fox Sports, which is also not particularly great. But they're going to have to spin off. I mean, they can't, I, they probably they can't have to spin something off. But I think it would be easier to spin off a combination of ESPN, Fox Sports. Mm -hmm. I think Hulu is the reason they want it, which is why I think this gets done. All right. For more details on the Sprint T-Mobile deal and a history of the two companies' fiery past, you can head to CNBC.com. Still ahead, eSports hitting the courts with its first big game tomorrow night. We talked to one of the gamers on the Philadelphia 76ers about what's at stake and just how serious the NBA is about eSports. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Morgan Stanley says the time may be running out on the nine-year bull market. The man behind the call will explain why and the one sector to buy right now. Plus, it is a question every Bitcoin baller is asking. To be or not to be? No, the question is, is Bitcoin a currency or security? The head of the CFTC will make the call when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is no secret that the crypto craze has taken the world, and for this matter, this show, by storm. But as Bitcoin and Wall Street collide, one question remains on many investors' minds. What exactly is Bitcoin? For more on that, let's bring in CFTC Chairman Chris Giancarlo. He joins us from the Milken Conference in Los Angeles. Chris, welcome to the show. Um, and we just want to start off with the million-dollar question, because I think that there is a real debate, even amongst Bitcoin enthusiasts. What is Bitcoin? Is it digital gold? Is it a currency? Is it a security? Could it be all of the above? What do you think? Well, it's a great debate, uh, Melissa. And a lot of people are looking at it from so many different angles. And we at the CFTC have been looking at it for a number of years now. You know, the statutes under which we operate were written, in our case, in 1935, and with the SEC in 1933 and 34. And it's often hard to, to look at those statutes and find out where something as new and innovative as Bitcoin and many of the other uh, cryptocurrencies, where do they fall into a regulatory regi regime that was written decades ago? So in the case of the CFTC, we see elements of commodities in it that are subject to our regulation. But depending on which regulatory regime you're looking at, it has different aspects of all of that. In our case, though, we have seen the licensing and the operation of Bitcoin futures contracts, which are cash settled contracts on Bitcoin operated by our two large exchanges, the CME, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and the CBOE. CBOE and those contracts are working quite well. You have said in the past, Chris, that you believe uh, Bitcoin operates very much or acts very much like a commodity in the context of gold. I mean, do you see similarities where you say, you know, right now, at least in its early, early stage, 
it does look like X, Y, or Z? Yeah, well, I, I think there are certainly aspects of this that you might call a virtual asset, uh, a virtual asset like gold, only it's, it's virtual, it's digital. But it is an asset that many find worthy of holding for a long period of time and that have uh, aspects to it that might not be ideal as a medium of exchange, but might be more suitable as a long-term uh, buy and hold strategy. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that Bitcoin and a lot of its other virtual currency um, counterparts really have elements of all of the different asset classes, whether a medium payment, whether a, a, a long-term asset. Um, and so uh, as a world and, and as regulators, we're coming to grips with this uh, just now in real time, and it's complicated, and I don't see it being resolved anytime soon. Are you worried that, that you or any of the other regulators out there, including the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, might be overzealous in regulating Bitcoin and, and in doing that will stifle the innovation uh, that can come with Bitcoin? I mean, you, you have fallen into the camp, according to past comments, that there can be no blockchain without a Bitcoin. Some people say that they endorse blockchain but don't endorse Bitcoin. You, you don't believe that. So are you more in favor of a light touch right now? So as, as a regulatory agency, our agency, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, has often been in the forefront of technological evolution. It's part of our DNA as an agency. We try to apply our statute on a principles-based approach. We look at the core principles and apply it to new innovations like this. And that's the approach we've taken in the case of Bitcoin futures. But all of us as regula regulators have to apply our statute um, in the spirit in which it was written, in the spirit it was uh, uh, um, conceived by Congress. At the end of the day, it's for Congress and not regulators to decide whether, uh, whether new policies should be evolved for these new, these new, these new asset classes. Um, uh, Jay Clayton from the SEC and I recently testified in front of the Senate Banking Committee, and we talked to Congress about whether maybe some new legislation might be appropriate in this area, and I think you will see going forward, perhaps uh, in, in this Congress or in future Congress, an attempt to, to deal with this new innovation. But it is, uh, I know Bitcoin has been in place since uh, eight, eight or nine years or so, but the fact of the matter is it still is relatively new for us at the regulatory agency, and it's gonna take some new uh, open-mindedness, some new way of thinking about it for us to get our, our heads around it Do you entirely. have confidence that Congress is gonna come up with a framework, a regulatory framework? To, uh, to govern this new emerging asset class and technology? I, I think some will depend on the asset classes itself, how they develop, but I think there's certainly an appetite amongst uh, a number of congressmen and women and senators that I've spoken to mm -hmm. to uh, approach this uh, with some new eyes and some new thinking. And so I, I think there's a growing chorus among, on Capitol Hill for some rethinking here. Right. I want to ask you about a white paper you just released about swaps reform. Can you sort of boil it down for the individual investor who might be watching the show, the importance of this? Sure. So as you know, uh, coming out of the last financial crisis, Congress took up the Dodd-Frank Act and, and put that, uh, passed that in 2010 and left it to regulatory agencies. And in, in a large case, my own regulatory agency, the CFTC, to implement a lot of the regulations. And what we've done, we've now got four years of experience because most of those re reforms were in place by 2014. We've got four years of experience, four years of data, four years of academic study 
and four years of market experience with those reforms. And what we did, I teamed up with our chief economist, and we produced a 100-page paper assessing the impact of those reforms. What's worked well, what's worked less than perfectly, what's worked and created a whole series of new issues. And we've assessed that, we've put forward some ideas for what the next generation, what we call Swaps Reform 2.0, what that might look like. How do we optimize these reforms right. so that we can not only have systemic stability, but also good, solid economic growth and economic and market vitality. Right. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Christian Carlo. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you All very right. much. What do you think, Russell? I think these exchanges and regulatory bodies have went from no, never to maybe sometimes, and they're leading into absolutely always. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, not a question of if, it's a question of when for all of them. So ahead, they say age ain't nothing but a number, but that might not be the case when it comes to the nearly decade-old bull market. Top strategist Mike Wilson will be here to tell us why the seemingly unstoppable bull run could be nearing an end. Plus, Disney and Twitter are teaming up. The company is announcing a new streaming deal that could be a game changer. We've got all the details. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Age before beauty, unless we are talking about the age of the current bull market, which is now nine years old, and that has our next guest worried. He was one of Wall Street's biggest bulls. Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist. He joins us now. Mike, good to see you. Um, you know, when I heard about all the deals being announced this morning, I thought maybe this is a sign of an aging bull market. Companies are acquiring growth as opposed to seeing that growth is happening around them sure. and they could do it on their own. How worried are you? Well, look, I mean, I think it's a process that's begun. Uh, you know, we've written about this extensively. I think the, the valuation peak was December. Uh, I, I would argue the sentiment and positioning peak was January, and now we're kind of waiting for a price peak. Uh, uh, you know, we said we think it's probably in the third quarter. Will coincide with the peak forward earnings for you know this year uh, going forward 12 months, um, but you know we've already seen stocks devalue by 15 or 20 percent in many cases, and some stocks have devalued by 30 percent. So that's that's the beginning of the topping process. It can last a while, mm -hmm. but it's this is a much different environment than last year. Obviously, you made the point in your note that the price on the S&P 500 from recent peaks down by about seven percent, forward yep. PEs are down by about 11 percent. Right. So we we are going to see the peak in forward PEs. What you just said, or we have seen the peak already. We've seen the peak We've in valuations. Peak. Right? Okay. So that that's in. I, I'm highly yeah. convicted in that view. And that's been our call for this year. What's offsetting that is still earnings growth. Okay. What, what I'm seeing, though, what I don't like, what I don't like right now is we're seeing some of the more cyclical areas, some of the former leaders really fall by the wayside. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the market is starting to take on more defensive characteristics. So it's, it's going to take months. It's not going to all happen at once. This is, it's, you know, the markets are diabolical, right? They, they want to lull us in. They, you know, and, and look, we're very bullish right here at 26.25, 26.50. We think this is actually a good entry point for a move towards higher highs. We still think there's higher highs this year in the S&P 500. So that's a pretty good return. So in terms of portfolio positioning, though, are you positioned full on bull right now or do you have to account now for the death of the bull market? So we've started to scale into more defensive areas. We upgraded utilities back in early February. We since traded out of them. It was a good trade. We downgraded tech at the same time. It's more of an equal weight. Uh, we're starting to look at more defensive sectors. Healthcare is kind of on our list as an area we're starting to take a look at. So it's not all going to happen at once. Right. And that's and that, I mean, my experience with tops is they take you know, quarters, sometimes years to kind of play out. And it's going to be a stage rotation towards more of these defenses. You really like energy, though, right now, right? Yeah, well, energy has kind of both properties, right? So this yeah. is interesting. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because energy, in a, in a world where, you know, uh, defenses may not act defensively, right, because rates are going up, uh, you know, in some of these uh, really defensive areas like utilities, telco, REITs, 
they may not act as defensive as normal because they've gotten overvalued in the QE era. Energy has those you know, dual properties of being cyclical, classic late cycle with energy prices going up, but they also have some defensive characteristics this time around because they're very cheap and they pay pretty good yields. So energy is by far our number one sector right now. Did you like telecom and utilities before um, the recent drubbing in the markets because of higher rates or? We have not upgraded oh, you, those sectors at all. Okay. No, we, yeah. we upgrade utilities for a trade. We're now underweight. Oh, okay. We're underweight telco, REITs, and staples. Okay. Uh, we're equal so weight. So the rising rate environment is still going yeah, to be still what there. kills so these defensive think, places. Yeah, we do think there's going to be an opportunity this summer, and part of that's going to be with coincide with the, with the high-end rates, which is probably somewhere in the 310 to 325 range for 10 years. That's, that's our view. All right, Mike, good to see you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Mike Wilson. You like energy a lot, too. So for I, these I, reasons? I like, I like energy, but I think going into the Iranian deal, I think that's going to be the peak for energy, and I think you're going to see the market sell off. I think everyone is all hawkish going into it. Netanyahu today with his comments uh, against Iran saying that they're trying to make secretly a, a nuclear bomb. I think this is all fostering Saudi Aramco. There's all this pace and tailwinds into higher energy prices. It's helping the subgroup, but I think it's going to peter out eventually in May. I look at Colgate, Procter & Gamble, Clorox, Church & White, all some Staples. at 52-week lows, some right around it. And I say, you know what, the market's still within a whisper of an all-time high. These stocks have underperformed now for a while. Are they making a statement about higher interest rates? Are they making a statement about the consumer? I don't know, but I don't think it's necessarily all that good for the broader market. Maybe it's two sides of the coin. I mean, we saw what went on with Amazon and the strength that Amazon has in terms of, right, making uh, competitive pressures increase for a lot of these guys with their Amazon basics. Yeah, look, to me, Amazon All sorts is, of headwinds. Is, is pushing Walmart and Target to do things that they should have done a long time ago. And I think the, the competition were way overstored there. Um, I still like consumer discretionary. I like banks a lot. And I've been in energy for a year. I, this sector is behaving differently because the companies are doing things differently for shareholders, which is giving capital back, not spending everything on growth. That's what they should have done a long time ago. All right, still ahead, eSports is hitting the courts. The NBA 2K tournament kicking off tomorrow. We'll talk to a top player from one of the biggest franchises. And from eSports to streaming sports, Disney and Twitter announcing a new content deal today. We'll give you all the details when Fast Money returns. Mm. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Twitter. The stock soaring nearly 5% after announcing a partnership with Disney's ESPN to create new live content to stream across Twitter's platform. And options traders are betting the deal will spark even more gains for the stock. Let's get to Mike Coe in Austin, Texas for more on this. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we can see from both the share prices of Disney and Twitter that the street was responding to this pretty favorably. They definitely were in the options market. Twitter was actually one of the top 10 most active single stock names in terms of options activity and calls significantly outpaced puts. And where we saw most of that activity was actually very short dated. The weekly 30 calls, the ones that expire this coming Friday, were the most active. About 8,000 of those were trading for prices as high as a dollar and a quarter and averaging about 70 cents. So those are bullish bets that options traders are making that it's actually going to be above 31 by the end of the week. Hmm. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Cohen Austin. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, basketball's biggest stars are about to get their game on with eSports. The NBA 2K tournament kicking off tomorrow here in New York City. We'll talk to one of the top players in the space when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Basketball's biggest stars are about to get their game on, but we're not talking about the NBA playoffs here. The eSports scene preparing for a whole different ballgame as the NBA 2K Gaming League gears up for its tip-off tournament. 
Eric Chami's got more from headquarters. Hey, Eric. Hey, that's right, Melissa. Nice sound effects there, too. The NBA 2K League officially begins tomorrow night. It's the first ever season for this brand new league, Competitive Video Games. Tomorrow starts a week-long $100,000 tournament. It's part of a million dollars in tournament prizes throughout the season, on top of the $30,000-plus salaries each player will make. While some may think playing video games is not athletic, Commissioner Adam Silver disagrees. I do see them as athletes, and number two, I see them as athletes because I think it's, it requires a unique combination of physical and mental skills to, to excel. And I think in, it's not that different than in the NBA. Silver said he considers 2K a legitimate fourth league for the NBA, the main league, the WNBA, the developmental G League, and now this. 17 of the 30 NBA teams have a 2K team, including the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics, who will play a real playoff basketball game tonight. There are already big-time sponsors lined up for the league, like Dell and Intel, powering the PCs, and some specialty products like Rainer gaming chairs and HyperX headsets. Nielsen said there's a big overlap between NBA and esports fans. It also noted the popularity of the sport in China. Nielsen's going to track the online streaming ratings of the league throughout the entire 15-week season. But if you guys need more excitement back in the studio, you can all go together in person. All the games, they're going to be played in New York, Melissa. That Let's actually sounds cool. Team outing. Like team outing. Team Eric, outing. you're invited to York, by the Thanks. way. <laughs> Eric Chemi. Now, we have got a player from the 76ers to give us an inside look at this new league. Alex Bernstein, he's known as Steez in the NBA 2K world, is a small forward for the 76ers gaming club. He's playing in the tip-off tournament this week. Um, should I call you Alex or Steez? Steez. Steez. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to the I mean, show, Steez. you can play with it as much as you want. If you guys want to go with Alex, that's completely uh, fine. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I rarely get a chance to call anybody Steez. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go with Steez. Let's do it. Um, so, Steez, is there any amount of pressure on you and the other players, seeing that this is a very, very new league and the NBA really seems to be throwing their support behind mm -hmm. it, to make this actually work? Um, I could say there's some pressure, but, but in all the best ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going out for this combine and going out for this league, um, that's what you wanted. You wanted pressure and you wanted that competitive edge and uh, that's what you're ready for. So coming in this league, that's one thing we look for, but the, it's all the best things of it. Now, it's not like you've been a gamer all your life. You've had an actually an interesting sort of career path to this mm -hmm. point in time and you're only, what, 24? 24, yeah, 24. as of the 27th of April, so a couple days ago, yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank um, you. But you played uh, college football, right, for in South Dakota? That's true. You became a financial advisor in Beverly Hills. That's right. Um, so how do you look at this in terms of a career and how do you look at the league and, and its emergence and think how do I chart a lasting career in this? Mm -hmm. Well, like you said, right out of college, um, I, I did become a financial advisor and, and that was great, it was awesome. But one of the things at the end of the day that you always gotta be able to say when you look in the mirror is, do I love what I do, am I passionate about it? And um, video games during college was always very, <laughs> it was always a big thing for me. You it know, it, for me too, though, when I had <laughs> here, right? So, yeah, yeah. Station um, break? It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Let me, I got a quick, so you're, you're living in San Diego, well, you're moving to Philadelphia, but you're from yeah. San Diego. What's that like that you pick up and you move with four other guys effectively? You guys are all living in the same place, is that correct? What's that like? I mean, that's a complete change of lifestyle. I mean, yeah, the living with my teammates isn't that big of a deal. You know, college, being with my, like my football dorm, team, huh? yeah, yeah, that, that's not a big deal. Um, but coming here to Philly, you know, you, you are a little intimidated and a little scared at first, but just being here in Philadelphia is there's the whole community embracing you and just taking you in as their own. It's a city of brotherly love. So we knew that coming in, so we were like, okay, that, that's a little bit nicer. Um, 
but the, this the city is they really back you up and they're they're there for you guys and it's been awesome it's been a great ride and the 76ers have, have really taken us in as a family and, and it's been a great experience so far so do you have groupies no, that know you, know Would your you like staff. To be one? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I, I was about to say, um, you know, sometimes you have some people that come up to you and, and they're like, Steve's like, you know, we watch you play uh, throughout the year and stuff like that. Congratulations on making the league. Um, and, and it is awesome. Uh, it's only been a couple, though. It hasn't really, like, been that, that like huge like crazy like rock concert like fan base that like comes out of nowhere could get to grab to that you. Point, though, I mean, with the popularity. Oh, for, oh, of course. I, that, you know that that's what we're trying to be. Um, I yeah. remember this gentleman and I were, were speaking earlier about um, those video games like League of Legends and yep. Dota right, that are right, right. that are really tearing up this, the esports scene right now. And um, and it's honestly like it uh, makes me proud to say that like, I'm an esports player now because I look up to those games that are doing that and. Um, what, what fans are looking for right now is they're looking for that competitive game. Sure. And that's why when these leagues are blowing up like that, they're going to see what this 2K it's league is doing. the same passion you're getting out of, out of pro sports. Exactly. exactly. Steve's great to see you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Steve's, A.K. Alex. He's the man. I mean, I scoffed at it a year Quick ago, trade. but Peter Gubu is here. Re I'll tell you. Well, I'm not going to give away my final trade, but it's take two, interactive. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, final trades. <laughs> Final trade, Tim Seymour. So, big on the gaming. Uh, I'd, not, I'd say Tencent, but I can't, so I'll go EA because you can't buy Tencent here. EA, it's in the game. Karen. <laughs> yes, TBT. I do not think we have seen the top in rates or inflation. I think they're going to be back here very soon. Grasso. Bye, Tesla. Not a consensus call, but it's getting very interesting to me. Yay. I see Steve's on like Kimmel or something. He's good. I mean, a year yeah, yeah. from now, he won't have time. He's going to big time us. Yeah. He's going to big time us. And tell, right yeah, tell me what Steve stands for. Steve's. Style, Style with ease. Style, Style with ease. Style with ease. That's yeah. me. Yeah. I'm That's why I didn't know what it meant. Okay. <laughs> Your final trade, please. Take two interactive along the same lines. All right. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.